on your feet. Find somebody and tell them good morning. Before creation breathed its first breath and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne high and glorious God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. Sing your praise at the top of my
Good morning, good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is good to see you this morning. Welcome back. Uh, welcome home. If you're visiting with, with us, we're glad to have you here with us this morning. If you would grab your worship guides, I have some things that I, I want to uh, highlight this morning. We had a team leave Friday for Madagascar, and uh, that is off of the lowest part of Africa. It's a small island. It's about a two-hour flight from, Saint, uh, from Johannesburg. It is uh, a wonderful uh, country. Uh, impoverished, one of the uh, greatest, uh, most impoverished nations in the world. Uh, Tori Alverson uh, was there as our missionary for two years, and she took a team back. There's an orange worship guide uh, insert in the worship guide, and it has a list of those who went. Uh, five of our family are there right now, and uh, flying to an island where they'll be living in the jungle for a few days, and then doing some city work, and and uh, sharing Christ with folks, and encouraging believers there. So we want to definitely be in prayer for them. Uh, as as they are away, so please do that. Also, want to highlight uh, another the white insert. Our missionary focus for this week 
is uh, Lawrence Owens mission uh, ministry. It's uh, prison ministry in Dieball. Gives explanation of what it is there. Please be in prayer for them. Uh, that is a phenomenal ministry. It not only reaches uh, men and women for Christ, but disciples them. And uh, then uh, even teaches them how to teach and do ministry. So we want to be in prayer for them. So please uh, take, take note of that. Put it on your refrigerator so you pray for them on a regular basis and, uh, and all. A couple other things I want to highlight. Um, for those of you who have been visiting Carpenter's Way, uh, I know we got a lot of folks on vacation and out. But uh, if you're watching on the Internet and you're going to be around on the 24th of July, two weeks from now, we're going to have our next uh, Carpenter's Way 101 class. That's how you become a member of Carpenter's Way. Uh, or you get more information. Uh, in the library, we meet from 9.30 till about 11.45-ish uh, in the morning. Uh, at same, we have child care going on. Uh, for those of you with kids, but you'll meet all the elders and all the pastoral staff and, and get a chance to hear why we do what we do and what we believe and all that stuff. And uh, it's all done in one morning, so we would encourage you to participate in that. Even if you're not ready to become a member, it's a great way to find out who we are, how we started, why we do what we do. So please take note of that. The only other thing I want to highlight right now is I want to encourage you to be involved in our Bible studies. We've got men's Bible study every Tuesday morning, and then every Sunday night, um, we, uh, Robert Grimes, our missions pastor, uh, leads uh, a video-based discussion on culture, culture and context of Scripture. It's, it's in your worship guide. Uh, it's, it's under the title, This Study is for Everyone. It is called So the World May Know by uh, Ray Vanderlaan. He shows about a 15-minute video and then leads a discussion on where, why that's relevant and where in Scripture that's found. Uh, and hopefully, as we've walked through Scripture together, and for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, we basically go verse by verse through sections of Scripture. But um, uh, as we walk through, I hope you begin to understand the value and significance of context. It is very, very important to really understand what the author and the writer is saying and what the Lord wants to say to us. So uh, that's a very, very important study. That, that does it for the announcements this morning. Please take some time to read through your worship guide. Lots of interesting stuff there. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward as we prepare for our offering. And we will uh, commit our service to the Lord. And, and um, again, we're glad you're with us. If you're watching on Internet, you're still part of our family this morning. And our hope and our prayers, we encourage you. We're going to be wrapping up this morning our study through the book of James. And then next week, we're going to start another study in, in Jonah, uh, the Old Testament book of Jonah. And that's going to be probably a four- or five-week study. I know most of you don't believe I can do it in four or five weeks. I could have done it in one if I wanted to, but I, I choose not to. <laughs> So we'll start, we'll start that next week. Um, thanks for being here. Glad to have you online with us. And uh, our hope and our prayers, we can encourage you. Um, Father, we love you. Um, that's cool. But the most important thing is that you love us. And, and, and you loved us even before we knew who you were and of your mercy and grace. Uh, Father, we live in a time, uh, not just in our country, but in our world, where, where hate seems to reign. Religion hates other religion. Uh, race hates other race. Countries hate other countries. And Father, uh, America, the United States of America is no longer united, uh, but is having our own issues. Uh, Father God, I ask you to heal our land, heal our world through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, dialogue alone, understanding alone will not solve our problem. Um, violence will not solve our problem. Only love and peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ will. So I pray you'd raise up our church, not the white church, not the black church or the Mexican church, but the body of Christ. Not the religion of Christianity, but Jesus Christ, the body of Christ inhabited with the Holy Spirit. 
that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of peace, a place where people come to find hope when they're hopeless. I pray for us as a church, Father, that we would be welcoming and loving to each other, to the lost, and that the reputation of this church will be that we are a friend of sinners, that we have ourselves have been overwhelmed with the mercy and grace that God has shown us. And so, Father, heal our land through your body. Heal our country. Heal our community. Heal our families. And I pray, Father, that we as a, as a church this morning would proclaim the goodness and mercy of our God to anyone and everyone who wants to hear, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their heritage, or the color of their skin. We commit our service to you. We commit our, our, our hearts to you, and we ask you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Who is like our God? We spoke and there was life. And saw how it should be. And who is like our God? Send his son to die to set the captive free. We will exalt you, our God, the King. And over all the earth, we will sing. Being thrown with our worship to you. The praise that you're due, be enthroned. Let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume, lifting you where you belong.
up to you by the praise that you're doing. Be enthroned in worship, preach you like the sin of perfume. Lifting you where you belong. Oh, be what you just sang be enthroned I mean that's a uh, it's a call for God to be the king of our lives it's 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 it actually we just saying um, that we want him to be king over our desires our dreams man I, I, t- I tell you uh, it's been an amazing week another amazing week in our country and uh, we are a very divided nation. And it is sad that after the videos and the shootings, whether it's of cops or of black folks, everybody goes back to their corner and screams about love while shouting hate. And the church is in the middle of it. What a time to study Jonah. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. You know, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Because Jonah's funny. I mean, he is a pouty little servant of the the Most High God. And he does not want to go to these people he doesn't like. And uh, I'm hoping it's encouraging. I've been laughing my way through it for about three weeks now. It is incredible just how silly this little man was. It's deserving of its own VeggieTale video. Sometime I'm going to have the guts to play it on a Sunday morning. But, you know... um, I think, I think we have uh, this idea of, of reaching people wrong. I think we think we have to like them while we minister to them. And I think that's wrong. Paul does not like, if you go back, and I'll show you as we're studying through it, but I don't think Paul liked Gentiles much, but he loved us because God love compelled him. And, and frankly, I think uh, we all know that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't like those people. And uh, I just want to make it clear that God is not asking you to appreciate other cultures. He's not asking you to even like the people you minister to. But he is telling you, as his servant, to go and to love and to tell people that there's hope in him. The answer to our country's problems is Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds like pastor rhetoric, but nothing else is working, in case you haven't noticed. Not more laws. Not more money. It's it's, it's hope in God, and until the church realizes he's our only hope, because I don't think we believe it. I think we believe it's better preaching, better books, uh, better worship. Jesus Christ is the answer to every issue in your life. And uh, um, 
uh, man, it's going to be a great study. So you want to be here next week? Uh, I've entitled it, Here Am I, Send Somebody Else. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I hope we laugh through it. I mean, it's just, it's just, and the reason you laugh, you realize you don't laugh. You laugh because you're nervous. That's why, that's why reality, it, it, you just kind of go, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just funny. And, and the world has always been a mess and hate has always reigned, except in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, hate reigns in the body of Christ too. And we got to stop, you guys. We got to stop. We got to stop hating on sinners. We got to stop hating on people of color. And, and I look around this room and I see people from Mexican descent and other Hispanic and Latino descent and I see blacks and I see whites and I, I want to make it clear there's a reason we don't have a flag on this stage. And I know that offends some of you. I'm sorry, but there's a reason we don't have a flag. This is not the United States of America and it's not a white church. It's the body of Christ. From every race, color, culture, and nation are welcome in this place. And they are welcome. And... Uh, We've all been a part of, of the body when at times we say, hey, there's a church you might like a little better. I want to be that church. I do. I want to be that church. And uh, I, I've told you before that I guess, I guess this makes me less spiritual, but if we ever built a building, which I have no desire to do, but if we ever built a building, I want the cornerstone instead of a verse to be what's at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Give us your poor, your tired, your hungry, those yearning to be free. Because that's what the body of Christ needs today. We need to be free. We have not been set free. We have put new wine in old wineskins of legalism and hate and culture, and it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow and black and white. And that citizenship is more important than our American citizenship. And... Uh, it's been a bad week for our country, but a good week for the body of Christ because we have another opportunity to rethink what we do and why we do it. And uh, so, uh, believe it or not, we're at the end of James, and it's, it's going to kind of fit. Um, because as we begin our final day in James' letter, I want to I show you something. I, I'm going to be jumping around <laughs> because, like, well, you always jump around. Well, I'm going to announce that I'm jumping around this morning. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I, I want you to see, and I hope it hits you like it hit me, but I want you to look. I want to start this morning by reading you um, the, the last prayer Jesus prayed in John 17 before his arrest that we have the full prayer of. Uh, just, and and I, as I read this, I know you're familiar to it or with it, but I want you to think, in, instead of looking at each little nuance, I want you to think, just listen to it, and, I, and it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to ask yourself, what's he praying for? Who's he praying for? What is on his mind? Jesus Christ wasn't just 100% God. He was 100% dude, 100%, and he had fear. He did not want to die, but he also had worry. He worried about something, and if you want to know what a, what a person really, really cares about, listen to their last words before death. And he knows he's about to be arrested. Listen to his final thoughts before his arrest. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each you have given to him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. i got to pause here for a second. Because this side, side note, this is free. I'm not going to charge you for this. If you want to know how to be saved, it just told you. How did Jesus, 
How did Jesus feel about salvation? Did you have to be a member of a Baptist church? Did you have to be baptized in the Church of Christ? Did you have to be uh, married in, in the Mormon church? How does a person get saved? Jesus is talking to his daddy. And if anybody knows how people get saved, it's Jesus and his daddy. And he says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, me, the one you sent to earth. If you are not clear on how to be saved this morning, it is not by joining this church. It's not by joining the Catholic Church. It's not by joining Harmony Hill. It is by joining the family of God by way of the gate, Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, black, white, rich, poor, crazy, sane, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Socialist, communist, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord, please. You don't have to die in your sin. You do not have to face the judge and deal with your sin. Please, call on the name of the Lord. Well, how do I do that? Stop being stupid. Call on the name of the Lord. Quit asking people to walk you through. It's a relationship. You want to talk to God, talk to God. Talk to Him. Tell Him what your need is. I'm in trouble. I'm scared of facing you. Remember me. Save me. Forgive me. Do you know what his answer will be? Okay. Okay, the God of the universe, the judge of all men. Okay, I will. Okay. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. All right, then you don't want to be forgiven. He knows what you've done. Accept it. It's a gift. Okay, I'll stop preaching here. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, verse 7, now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and now that I came from you, and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world. Jesus' last thoughts were not prayers for the lost. But for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father, and you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name. This is a huge verse. It's one of those we don't talk about much, but just think about it. Jesus is talking to his daddy. He's talking about those he's going to leave behind, specifically the 12 and those others who are following him. He says, during my time here, I protected them by the power of, of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. Now, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one, Lucifer. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm actually not praying only for, those, for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us, 2016. I am 
not, I'm praying not only for those disciples, these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. So as, as you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much as uh, you love them as much as you love me. What was on Jesus' mind hours before his arrest? The disciples and, and other followers and those of us who would be saved eventually through their message. Us. Today, Jesus' last prayer was about us. I know that sounds like pastoral stuff, but you've got to let this get beyond your skin, beyond your head, and realize that Jesus was thinking about us in 2016, hours before his arrest. Daddy, Daddy, I protected these guys for three years because... Well, I, I was with them in the name you gave me, Jesus, and the power you gave me. And you remember some specific times that he physically protected them. How about at his arrest? At his arrest, you know, uh, Peter pulls his sword and cuts the high priest's ear off, and Jesus jumps between them, heals the guy's ear, and says, you came for me, not for them. Leave these guys alone. And they do. Jesus literally physically protects the disciples. And if you want to know if Jesus had anxiety before he left, it wasn't just himself. It was for us. While we walked with him, Daddy, they could hide behind me like I hide behind you, but I'm leaving. So my prayer, Father, is now that you protect them from the evil one. Notice he didn't say from the world. He didn't say protect them from the world. He said protect them from the evil one. He was concerned about us. He had taken care of the disciples with him. He was with them, and now he's leaving, and he's asking the Father to protect us. But he also says one other thing, and that's the thing I want to hit this morning. He prays that we become one, that we're unified as God's children. The, the world has always been a dangerous place for the followers of Jesus, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And that is why God left us each other. God left us each other as a gift, not an evangelistic gift for the world, but for each other. We're supposed to come together regularly so we can encourage each other and breathe. This was supposed to be the safe place we come, out from among them, out from among the people that we may not like, but God's love compels us. That's what we're going to talk about in Jonah. I, I learned as a kid, and we studied this in Corinthians, and, and you're going to hear this a lot in coming weeks. But you know that Corinthians, Paul said, we used to look at men from a human point of view. We even looked at Jesus from this point of view. But no longer do we do that. Now it is Christ's love that compels us. We can't even help but, talk, but minister to people. It is not, that does not mean that Paul had fallen in love with all the people he ministered to. What it means is God's love for them, the Greek was clear on this if you remember it from 1 Corinthians, but God's love for them had so moved him that how could he not minister to people that his daddy loved? I mean, the, the fact is that as we fall in love with Jesus, we fall in love with Jesus' love. We, we can't help but do our daddy's business. And he left us here to do his business. There's this wrong thinking that I've got to like every culture and every mindset and every thought that people have before I can minister to them. You are not offering them your culture. You are not offering them your mindset or your wisdom. You are offering them the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. And we forgot that in the church. As we have moved away from the simple message of the gospel, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. To anyone who believes. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew and Gentile. For everyone, 
as we've moved away from that into a deistic view of moralism, which is we've got to maintain a white Christian moral culture in this country. I, I got news for you. That is not the gospel. That's Americanism. And it may have value, but it is not of eternal value. And it is dividing us as a body, not Carpenter's Way only, but the body of Christ in general. We have the black church, the white church, the Mexican church, the cowboy church, the redneck church, the uh, white 80s music church. We have the old traditional church. What are we doing? Even churches have their own divided churches. You have five services, five different styles of music. Well, we want to be all things to all people. At some point, you've got to tell people to quit feeling sorry for yourself and worry about the people around you. We create a culture of selfishness where you look for people in your demographic that tell you what you want to hear in the church, your Sunday school class that tells you that, that sits around and complains about the same thing. And the problem is we never grow up because all we're doing is talking to the same people who have the same issues. When the body of Christ was supposed to be old people ministering to young, blacks ministering to white, charismatics ministering to conservatives, and together is purity in the body. For those of you who come from um, Pentecostal or charismatic background, your worship is phenomenal. I would argue that it's overly emotional. But you might come up here and say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say. I think you lack emotion. Well, you know what the conservative side has? Solid doctrine, but lousy worship. Do you know what we were supposed to do? Come together. And as the body of Christ, the dramatic among us, are ministering to the conservative and mellow and thought police among us. And the thought police are supposed to realize that it's not doctrinal brain power that makes us pure. It's the Holy Spirit working and transforming our emotions. Within the body of Christ is supposed to be great doctrine mixed with amazingly faith-oriented worship where the Holy Spirit has control. And we walk with Him and we leave this place going, wow, was that a great week. I'm ready for another week. And we go out there and we serve the Lord and we can't wait to come back together because that's nuts out there. And Satan has allowed it to become nuts in here. Again, not Carpenter's Way, but in general. But it exists in Carpenter's Way. I mean, the fact is we have allowed Satan to redirect our thinking from salvation through faith in Christ alone to Americanism and, and, and races. And um, So what has been our answer the past 20 years, and, and this is my opinion, but it's what we need to do is we need to mix our churches. And You can't program health. Health happens when we surrender our hearts to God and say, whatever you have, whatever you want. What, whatever you want, here am I, I'll follow. Realizing that it's going to be dangerous for your image. It's going to be dangerous for you physically. You're not going to make it out of this one. Those of us who grew up hearing the pre-trib rapture that was the terrifying good news because none of us wanted to die. But the reality is, it still gets bad before it gets good, even if you believe that. You're not going to make it out of this alive. You might as well go with your tail on fire. <laughs> it seems like we're so passionate to find a safe place that we're frustrated because we can't find it. And that's where the hate's coming from, scared, fear. Jesus' prayer for, what, uh, for us was that we wouldn't be protected from the world, but we would be protected from the evil one. And he gave us the church so that we could take care of each other and become unified. And what was that unity founded around? Jesus Christ. We were not to be unified just in Jesus' teaching or Paul's teaching. 
We were to be unified by the Holy Spirit, bound together as a family. And Paul talks about this, and Jesus talks about this, and the author of Hebrews talks about it, and James talks about it, and here is his heart. Here is the core message of James. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up in honor. Let him decide how great or small you are. Humble yourself. Instead of trying to figure out politically what's going to solve this country's problems, surrender this country to Jesus. What does that look like? Pray. Pray for the president you hate. Pray for the president you love. Pray for the other party. Pray for the rhetoric. Pray for Jesus' will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Pray that you are part of the solution and not part of the problem. Pray that your tongue will be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Pray that your heart will be circumcised to be like God's. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He'll lift you up in honor. This is what James wanted from his readers and us. Not just to control our tongue or to pray more, but to actually submit every part of our lives and bodies to the Lord. Realizing that that will change everything we do and how we think. Knowing that at the right time He would lift us up and honor us. Frankly, we forget because we cannot get our minds around Paul's uh, exhortation in 1 Corinthians 2.9. That is what uh, it says, No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't fathom heaven because we're too busy living here on earth. We no longer fellowship with God We fellowship with God's servants through a video series or a book study. And that won't make you long for God. It will make you excited about knowing about God. I love Beth Moore, but she's not the Savior. I love John MacArthur, but he's not right on everything. I love Louis Giglio. But he's not going to make me close with Jesus. He's just going to make me excited about what Jesus is like. If I am going to have a good relationship with Julie, I can't go and move up into Ohio with her mother. That would be a bad decision. I may learn a lot of facts about Julie from her mother, but if I want to love Julie, i got to spend time with Julie. There's nothing wrong with reading every book focus on the family has about being a good husband. But if all I do is fill my mind with facts about being a good husband, it doesn't help me fall in love with Julie. Nothing wrong with having all the facts of Christendom, but if you individually, we individually, are not growing close in our relationship with the Lord, we are not falling in love with Jesus, we are falling in love with Christianity, and that's dangerous. Because Christianity is defined differently, except for the message, in every church you attend. It's not Jesus-centered, it's church-centered, and we need to get back to Jesus-centered. We need to realize that what is coming 10 seconds after our death is unimaginably amazing. It is hard for us to get our minds around and apply what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. 
It's hard for us to fathom the depth and sincerity and implications of Jesus' word in Luke 9, 23, when he looked at his followers and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. The truth is, James' whole point in all five chapters is simply reiterating what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In Romans 12, 1, he said, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. James said it this way, James 4, 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up with honor. It's all the same thing. Pick up your cross and follow me. Make your life a living sacrifice. Humble yourself before the Lord. This is a theme throughout the New Testament for the child of God. It isn't become great, become moral, stop sinning. It's become surrendered. And sin, which is a fruit of who controls our flesh, fades away. You've been singing about this since you were a child. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What's the next line? Look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? The things of the world will grow strangely dim. Our grandmother who wrote that song actually knew what she was talking about. If we look at Jesus, the things of the world grow strangely dim. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us to cast off the sin that so easily tangles us our feet up. And he tells us, you do this by fixing your eyes on Jesus. The only solution to your sin problem, the only solution to your surrender problem, the only solution to the race issues in this country is Jesus Christ, 100%, all the time, fixation on him, being like him. It's the only answer. Not more politics, not more Christians in government, not more Muslims in government, not an understanding across the races, but Jesus Christ's surrendered life. It is hard when we're down here facing the scary stuff of life to try to balance out taking care of our children yet trusting the Lord with them, though. Or balancing out encouraging your husband to lead your family spiritually but not badgering him. Or or trying to figure out that fine line of trusting the Lord with your health but also trying to get the perfect doctor to help you with your illness. It is difficult to know how to trust God and balance out trying to get the job where you make enough money to provide for your family, yet listening to Paul tell us to be satisfied where we find ourselves. Oh, and how about knowing that God is in control of our country and world, and even if it's on fire around you, learning to trust Him, even in a country that allows us to participate in dialogue and with, that is sometimes angry and hateful and infuriating. And then there's sin knowing and believing that you've been forgiven completely, but fighting the urge to fall back into sin that actually makes us feel good. It is so hard to trust Him. In fact, I would say it's almost impossible. And so James wrote this for us in last week's text. Because it's impossible on your own. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Or a better translation, weak in faith? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith can heal the person who's weak in faith. And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. James says that that your struggles and victories to the Lord, uh, send them to the Lord, take them to Him, get to know Him, walk with Him. And if you and when you become overwhelmed and weak in faith, you're to run to the leaders of your church for prayer and encouragement. 
I, I didn't get into this last week because we were talking about everything around it, but even the oil referred to here, the anointing oil, isn't a reference to, to ceremonial oil or spiritual oil. It's a reference to massage oil. You're actually supposed to, if you're weak in faith, run to the elders or the pastors of the church. We have seven elders so that they can lay hands on you, encourage you, not go, what's wrong with you, but actually encourage you, massage you. We're not going to do that, so you're going to have to do it emotionally. Encourage you and say, here, it's okay. Hey, go take your family to lunch. It's going to be okay. You see, this here was not evangelism, or supposed to be. It was supposed to be where beat-up warriors for the king, the children of the king, come back together and go, I am so tired. Where we get a little bit of context on the crazy. We get reminded that that's not, that's the shadow lands, but this is taking time each week to look into the real thing. That this is real, that's temporary. We need that. And James is reminding us and begging with us, go to God with your, your difficulties. Humble yourself before him. Go to God when you're having a good day. But if that still becomes overwhelming and you, and you just are struggling, go to the elders. And, and in case you're not clear, the elders or most of them are up here at the end of service every Sunday. That's why we don't stand at the door. Because we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. We want to encourage you. But you know, there's a lot of reasons I don't do an altar call at the end of the service. And, and one I want to be really clear about, I haven't said it much, because I want to make it more difficult on you. You see, the truth is, we have made it so easy, and it is easy to come to Jesus, but the truth is, you've got to want this. Everybody wants to get away with their sin. But there's a lot of us that are still killing ourselves with our sin. And the truth is, you need to humble yourself if you're struggling in faith, whether you're an elder or not, to say, I need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling with doubt right now. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus was concerned about our unity. You see, we're supposed to be so encouraging to each other, so unified, so building up that the world looks at us and goes, I want to be a part of a club like that. Well, you have to understand, this isn't the Optimist Club or it isn't, it isn't you know, in one of these other clubs. The thing that makes us unified, it's Jesus Christ. And it is pretty crazy. Because we got liberals and we got conservatives and we separate them by the aisles. We put them on opposite sides of the room. We got, we, we got, people, we got people who see different things theologically. We got tongue speakers and we got non-tongue speakers. But the one thing we have in common is salvation through faith in Christ alone. And the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms us. This is supposed to be the place we come and be refreshed, including the members of the clergy. We're supposed to come in here and we're supposed to be built up by each other. Theoretically, the pastor's supposed to be able to say, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm having a hard time. And instead of people going, oh my gosh, our pastor's struggling. The world's coming to an end. We go, let's pray for him. We can't do that. I, I, I know, I know. Um, unfortunately, having been here 12 years, you have to listen to stories over and over and over again. Too bad. Um, but Martin Luther, you know, the, the story about the young parish priest I've told you before? I love the story. He, he, he tells a story about a young parish priest who gets his first parish. 
And I don't understand how the structure of the Catholic Church works, but basically he has a drinking issue. Well, he doesn't have a drinking issue. He just drinks too much. And, and uh, he gets in trouble because of it in the community. And so early one morning he goes in, he gets busted, and he s- decides that they're going to kick him out of his parish. So he goes in early in the morning, like 3 or 4 in the morning, to get his office stuff and leave. And as he goes in, he boxes everything up, and as he's walking out, there are the deacons who run that church. And he says, look, I know you've got a lot to say to me. The fact is, I'm leaving. You don't need to say it. I've made a fool of you and me and God, and I'm, I'm sorry. And the deacon surrounded him and said, said, Father, we're not asking you to leave. We're asking you to stop drinking. You see, that's family. That's family. That's what God created us to do. We all struggle with drinking, whatever it is, whether it's overeating or it's, it's self-medicating. You can, you can have your own thing. Some of us, it's anger. Some of it's political. Some of it's drinking. Fill in the gap. I mean, some of us, it's self-righteousness. But the reality is we come together so that we get to know each other and we build such close, intimate, personal relationships so we feel supported so that when we go off the wagon, and we all do, we have people that love us enough to say, I'm not asking you to leave. I'm asking you to knock it off. Or we're going to hand your wife a bat and she's going to hit you back. That's what this is supposed to be. That's why Jesus prayed for unity. See, he didn't really pray that we were protected from the world. He prayed that we were protected from the evil one. And and you know why? Because we're supposed to take care of each other. We protect each other from the world. We we do. By the way, and a side note of that, not everybody is welcome into the worship time. I want to be clear. That's why we don't have a sign that says everyone welcome. Everyone is not welcome. Lost people are welcome. Witches are welcome. Homosexuals are welcome. As long as anybody doesn't cause distraction from what God is doing, it doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or a homosexual. You, you, can, you can come, just don't cause a distraction. If you cause a distraction, we will ask you to leave. If you refuse to leave, we'll ticket you with a trespassing, and you're not ever going to come back. It's not that complicated. If you don't think we're serious about it, we've got a cop in the entryway just to make sure that happens. We don't want to do that, but this is not a free-for-all. This is where the body of Christ comes together and says it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. It's going to be just fine. It doesn't feel like it's going to be fine. still going to be fine. You see, that's what faith is about. If we all thought it was going to be fine, we wouldn't need faith. If God just showed me what he was going to do, if he gave you the roadmap, you wouldn't need faith. Sometimes God says, I'm going to keep you blind for a reason. You need to trust me. I'm the dad, you're not. Get to the back seat of the car and put your seatbelt on. Well, I don't like this ride. I know. I didn't like it either. I don't like the place you're taking me, the neighborhoods you're taking me. Jonah, you're going to Nineveh. Okay, so here's the deal. I will serve you as long as I don't go to North Lufkin. (laughs) You might as well walk there. Because our God isn't asking our permission to use his property. And our frustration builds because we want it safe. And it ain't safe. but he's good. God is not safe, but he's good. And I know that most of your experience in the church is not great. So change it. This is our last shot. And you're learning what God gave us each other for. Change it. Stop complaining. We, we had a garage sale this weekend. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'll tell you about that on Wednesday night. 
You need to come on Wednesday night. That's when I tell all my junk. Um, we spent, uh, we got to spend an hour and a half yesterday just ministering to a young couple. And I'd have never been able to have any encounter with this couple if they hadn't come to our garage sale. Every time we have a garage sale, it's the last garage sale we're ever going to have. <laughs> how many of you are garage sailors? I just want to know. How many of you do that, go, go garage sale? Could you do me a favor from now on? When it says 7, could you show up at 7 and not 4.30, please? <laughs> It doesn't, I don't, know, I don't know what the thing is, but it doesn't mean. And so I became a, I became a legalist on, on Friday when we opened, and they were not coming up my driveway till 7. Seriously, they came at 6. We set up at 6.15. We were out there. They start walking up. 6.30, they start walking. 6.45, nope. Julie's like, Mark, we want to sell this stuff. Don't care. I'll give it away. <laughs> Paper says seven. You come at seven. It's a rule of law. Old Testament. Commandment number four. Wow. I told Julie, and I shouldn't tell you this. This is a Wednesday night truth, but I'll tell you it's a confession. I told Julie, I actually think I'm better than all these people. Lighten up, I'm kidding. I should never have said that. Can we delete that? <laughs> Listen, seven is seven, right? We're going to hand out watches next time. The fact is, you don't have to like who you minister to. Pants down, pants on the ground, pants on the ground. Doesn't matter. Car jumping up and down, doesn't mean you don't have to minister to them. Show up at your doorstep at 6.45 when it's a 9 o'clock meeting? Doesn't matter. But God, the Ninevites are, we'll get there. They're uncircumcised Gentiles, Lord. Doesn't matter. They're killing the cops. I died for them. The cops are killing them. Still have to minister to them. You know, the problem with our country is everybody has a truth. You know that. Just stop yelling and listen. Everybody's frustrated. And everybody has enough truth to be mad. As the body of Christ, we've been adopted out of our citizenship in this country and the cultural nuances of it. And our job is to tell both sides and every side that Jesus Christ loves them, whether they're a black panther or they're a white racist. But you can't do that on your own. It gets tiring and overwhelming. And your flesh will rage, like mine did this weekend at a garage sale. And I was wrong. That's why God gave me Julie. And that's why God gave us each other. That's what we do. Well, I don't want people judging me. Then you shouldn't have joined the body. Because that's what we do in 1 Corinthians 5 says. We don't judge those outside the church. We judge those inside the church. We take care of each other. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed of your weak faith. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I, I know some of you are going, well, you preached this last week. Okay, let's go to this week's verses, 19 and 20, the last two verses in this book. 
My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that, whatever, that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. This is the community we have been adopted into. We're family, and you as a member are to seek comfort from our daddy. When you're struggling, you're to run to him. When you have a good day, you're to celebrate with him. And when you are weary in your faith and you just, you just can't go to him anymore, where you just are so weak, you're having a hard time, and you're beginning to wonder if this is all foolish, you then go and you seek the encouragement of church leadership. But beyond that, we are to be so involved in each other's lives on a regular basis that we are constantly building each other up, confessing our sins to each other. You can tell each other stuff like I just did. I confessed something that happened this weekend. You're supposed to be able to have such good relationships with each other that you can do that with each other, which, by the way, is why we as a church have decided to break this group down into small groups. Those aren't Sunday schools. Those are little churches. Our women's Bible study groups aren't just little Bible study groups. They're relationship groups. And our men's Tuesday morning, that's a relationship group. And you'll notice we don't do a lot of church-wide events. When we do, those are relationship-building events so that we can see each other. But the real action doesn't happen in here. The real action happens in there. Because then you get to know each other. And you don't even have to always talk about spiritual things. You can laugh together. You listen to each other share in Bible study class. And you, and you giggle and people share about their lives. But all of a sudden you'll start noticing that Barbara Haley isn't acting how Barbara Haley normally acts. She seems a little bit down. So you give it a week and you just pray for her and you think. And then one week turns into two and two turns into three. And eventually you go, hey, Barbara, you're doing okay because God puts you together at the mall. That's exactly how this works. You've had it happen. And you say, are you okay? You just seem kind of down. Yeah, Jim has been at the doctor, and we just found out he's got cancer. That's not true. I'm making this whole thing up. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> but you find out, and she says, I'm really struggling. I've been teaching Bible study all these years, and I don't get this one. This is not a program. This is a family. What we do here right now is set the agenda for the rest of the conversation for the week. That's all we do. That's all my job is. And then we leave this place to have that conversation, which is why most of our Bible studies go in and they discuss what we talked about. Because I want you to disagree with me. I want you to say, I think he's wrong here. With one rule, you've got to back it with Scripture. Can't just make stuff up. Too much of that going on in the church. Well, I've been around this country a long time and, and I'm telling you that I am not going to do that. Well, that's fine, but that has nothing to do with God. Jonah. That's why we gather. Because this isn't just a happy gathering. It's a confronting. It's a comforting gathering. And you know what? If you love me, I need to know if my shirt is crooked. I, I, you know, I mean, it's funny, but if I, if I unbutton wrong way my, my brand new beautiful Hawaiian-made shirt, I hope that somebody cares enough about me to tell me, dude, your buttons, man. Have you ever have you had something on your teeth and you go home and you look in the mirror and you wonder how long it's been there? And don't you look in the mirror and go, I need new friends? Nobody wants to be told you look sloppy. On the other hand, there's only one thing worse than being told you look sloppy. And that's never being told you look sloppy. That's love. And it isn't a condemning love. It isn't a, hey, John, I've been meaning to tell you what a jerk you are. That's not what, <laughs> he's got a gun. Not true. He's not a jerk. 
But there's something loving about having each other's back. And it's not the whole congregation. It's small groups of the congregation. I'm so tired since youth ministry of hearing people say the church is clickish. Yes, it's supposed to be clickish. It's supposed to be welcoming. But the truth is, if we don't have smaller groups of people, we're not like Jesus. Jesus had hundreds of people following him. But guess who he hung out with? Twelve. And in that twelve, there was one guy who was a turncoat. So even that intimate group had a problem. I like to remind myself of that when I have elder meetings. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just kidding. But the truth is that even Jesus had small groups. It didn't mean he omitted the others, but actually he did. You know that there were times that he said, come on, guys, let's go up alone and pray to, pray to my father. So he even wanted to be alone. Well, that's exclusive. Yes, it is. Get over it. Well, I don't have that group. Then you're going to have to take personal responsibility and jump in. Nobody's invited me to Bible study. We invite you every week. Go. Kim Strong or Julie, they go out there to this information table every week, and, and, and they stand there. You want a Bible study, they'll take you to one. We have like seven or eight of them. We'll go from one to the other, and all those Bible study leaders know that when a new person comes in, they're just visiting. Just like a little church. Find the one that you fit. We've got some that are more social. We've got some that are more, uh, that are more uh, intensive Bible study. Lots of different flavors. Jump in. Well, I don't know where to go. Take some responsibility. I'm up here at the end of every service. You should be at the back door. I'm going to be up here. Come ask. Thou hast not because thou ask not. Well, I shouldn't have to ask. I'm a visitor here. Okay, we're going to slap an old shirt on you, and we're going to take you around. Nobody wants that either. Come on. We're the body of Christ. If you're saved, jump in. And if you're with us for three weeks, it's going to be a great three weeks, and then go somewhere else where you can find what you feel you need. But listen, we're the body of Christ, whether you attend Harmony Hill or, or Kelty's First or, or First Assembly. We are the stinking body of Christ. We're not a black body. We're not a white body. We're the body. And we've got to get back into the, get our minds around this. That's why we gather. 1 Peter 4.8, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a, multiple, a, a multitude of sin. I, I just, a couple things, let me get technical about this because there will be questions in Bible study. If you see somebody, what, what these verses, and, and I'm going to ask Chris, if you jump back to James 5, 19 and 20, let me read it to you again, and I, I want to go through some things from the Greek because it's important. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the many forgiveness of sins. Um, if you see somebody wandering away, losing their hope or joy, or becoming weary in the journey, the instruction is go get them. It's go get them. There's some technical stuff. For instance, the Greek word for wandering here is actually the same word where you have a falling star. It means when a planet gets out of orbit. In other words, it was there, standing firm. This is a person you, this is specifically talking about a believer who has been there. They've been in orbit. They've been at the right place. And now they're kind of wandering away. The, the instruction is that you go and you put them back in orbit. You start talking to them. You, you, uh, uh, you call them back. This, the word he uses here is not a word of evangelism. It's actually restoration. This is calling for us to restore the weak ones, the sick ones among us. Remember last week's text? That the sick ones who are, who are weak in faith, if they're so weak in faith where they don't come to the elders and ask, and you start sensing in your relationship that they're wandering away from trusting God, it's your job to go get them. It doesn't mean you wait until they sin. If they're struggling, you go, hey, let me buy you coffee. If you can't afford coffee, we always have coffee on at the church, and we'll turn the air conditioner on the library, and we'll take video of you. Just kidding. You can come here. 
Dolores has nothing to do all day. You're welcome to come here. Say, hey, can we go have a cup of coffee? Yeah, but uh, where do you want to go? Starbucks? No, I don't have that kind of money. It's not. It's a $7 cup of coffee. Why don't we go up to Carpenter's Way, and they'll buy us coffee, and we'll sit down and just chat for a few minutes. You know what's going to happen between the time you call them and the time you meet? What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Wouldn't it be cool if they know what they've done, they show up, and you actually say, I just want you to know I love you. Are you okay? It's not, uh, I've been observing your spiritual health lately, and I feel that, ugh! We don't talk like that. Just talk to them. You okay? Nah, not okay. Why not? The pastor's shirt is wrinkled and it bothers me. Let him talk. That's what we're here for. That's why God gave us this. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. What we're saving each other from is death, it says. But this isn't judgment, it's, it's death. You know, the wages of sin is death. We all know that, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Sin still causes death, even for the believer. Do you know that? Ask a pastor who's caught in, caught in adultery or the wife who's caught in adultery. It destroys the marriage. It's death. It destroys the relationship with the children. Death. We're saving each other from death. Not from eternal death, but death in this life. Bitterness causes death. We're called to life. And every person in this room, no matter how faithful you are, knowledgeable you, you are, sometimes looks at life and just goes, oh, it's just not working. It happens to me. I'll be really honest with you. I've already been honest. I'll be even more honest. There are times I listen to these guys on TV preach and I think to myself, if I did not know personally, have an experience with God, I'd think this was all a bunch, a big joke. The things that I hear pastors saying, how could any pastor who's called to love, which is the fruit, the signpost fruit of the Spirit, celebrate the death of the homosexuals in Orlando two weeks ago? But they did. And I'm not talking about just Westboro Baptist. I'm talking about some of our folks. How dare we? It's discouraging. And then I see you. I see you Facebooking each other. I see you encouraging each other. And I'm reminded that it's true. doesn't matter if it's true anywhere else, but it's true here. I've seen God in you. It builds me up. I'll show you one more cool thing and then we're done. I've showed you this before. So Jesus' last concern for us was that we would be unified and protected, take care of each other. James is wrapping up his letter in the last few weeks by telling us how to handle the troubles of life. Go to God. When you're having a good day, celebrate with God. If you're struggling in your faith, go to the elders of the church. They'll encourage you. Remember always to be confessing your sins to each other. Take care of each other encouraging. So you get a theme. Jesus is, and at the end, this week's text is, and if somebody starts wandering in their faith, if they start losing their trust in God, go get them. Take care of them. Jesus' last instruction, instruction, not his prayer, but his instruction to the disciples was this. 
Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water in a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you, you, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm about to do, but someday you will. In other words, there's a lesson here beyond dirt and feet. You're not going to get it, but you're going to get it soon. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Classic Mark move. Little bit over the top. Thank you for laughing. That is a personal friend that laughed at me. No, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, okay, but unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Then Mark replied, then wash my hands and my head as well, not just my feet. Just in case you're not clear, this is not about dirt. It's about sin. You get that? Jesus replied, Mark, 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 Mark. You silly little boy. A person who's been bathed all over does not need to wash, except for his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put the robe on again. And here's where you need to pay special attention. We've talked about this before, but it's hugely important. This is the last lesson that Jesus gives the disciples for each other. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, because I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. In case you're not clear, in case you're not clear, what Jesus was teaching them to do is watch each other's back and clean each other's sin off their feet. They were not dirty. They were not unclean. They were not going to hell. They had been washed by the blood of Christ. They were saved. That's not the question. But the reality is we walk through life, our feet get dirty. We doubt. We question. We deny Christ. Remember Peter? We get stupid. That's why we need each other. And it's not this, you better knock it off. It's come on. We can do this. Only 40 years left. In light of eternity, it's not that great. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what the Lord has for those who earnestly seek Him. We wash each other's feet. We take care of each other. That's why God invented this. And, and His last prayer before His arrest was about that. And His last instruction before going to the garden to pray that prayer was telling them, take care of each other. And James' last instruction to us is take care of each other. Go to God, but when that's not helping you and you need somebody with skin on, go to somebody else. Go to the elders of the church. Take care of each other. And, and if somebody runs because they're so discouraged and you see them getting discouraged, go get them, bring them back, love on them. The final instructions. The final instructions were not go reach the lost. It was make sure you take care of the found. Because when we do that, we can't help but tell the lost about Jesus. We invite them to join us. I know this sounds crazy for evangelism, but we're supposed to have such unity and such love and such care for one another that the world is looking in going, I want some of that. Well, the only way to get some of that is to be adopted into our family. Well, how do I get some of that? By accepting his offer through his son to make you adoptable. Do you get it? That's so far from what we do. But it is what we're called to do. Last story, then I'm done. Uh, a pastor out of Tyler, I have his name written down, Greg Locke, I think is his name, don't know him, 
But he had a message this week that I thought was powerful. He told a story, and I, and, and I, I wanted just to steal the story and make you think I was that good, but I'm not, so I'm giving him credit, and you'll never hear his name again. The preaching rule, by the way, is the first time you quote somebody, you have to say, as Greg Locke says. Second time is, you know, as I've said in the past. And then the third time, it's like, as I've always said. That's, that's how that works. So he's now had his credit. So if I ever tell this story again, it will be as I've told you before. But there's a story about a teacher who uh, has, uh, puts on each desk in her class a cut-up page of a magazine and a, and a, and a roll of tape. And the kids come in and they sit down and they look at their desk and the teacher says, here's what I want you to do in today's class. That is a picture of the world. And I want you to take that, those pieces of paper and I want you to put them together and tape them together. And I want you to put the world back together. And then I'm going to teach you about the problems of the world and how you can make changes. So the, ki- the kids go at it. Five minutes later, a little boy walks forward and his picture's all together. She is blown away. He car- takes it up to her and she says, that is very good. You did a great job. How did you do that? And he says, well, ma'am, On the other side of the page, I realized that there was a picture of a man. And if I turned it over and didn't do the world, but if I did that man, I put it together really fast. It wasn't hard at all. You want to know how to solve the world's problems? Take them to Jesus. But before we take them to Jesus, we've got to believe Jesus is the answer. And how do we know if we believe Jesus is the answer? The fruit of your life. That's what James is about. James isn't about helping you control your tongue. James isn't about actually helping you to pray better. It's not about getting you to stop sinning or or getting you not to treat people in prejudice. It's actually not doing that at all. It's actually saying you're doing these things. And the reason is, is because you have a divided heart. I'm begging you to humble yourself before the Lord. Go ahead and put it up there, Chris. I'm begging you, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's the application of James. It's not control your tongue. It's not all the things. And I think it's ironic that most of the Bible studies about James tells us 10 things that we need to change in our life, and it almost completely ignores that, or it puts them as one of the 10. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God doesn't want 10 things from you. He wants one, surrender. You want to control your tongue? You want me not to be prejudiced to people who come to my garage sale an hour and 15 minutes too early and knock on my door? I may have a little bitterness just yet. It isn't control your tongue, Mark, because I'm still going to be mad underneath the surface. It is humble myself before the Lord and realize that every one of those those people are an opportunity to share the goodness of God with them. You want to go to Nineveh when you don't like Ninevites? Humble yourself before the Lord. It's the answer to every question. If you don't know him this morning, the only only question you've got to answer is, what are you going to do about your sin if you die in it? Jesus Christ said, I'll forgive you. That's all you need to worry about this morning. But if you're the child of God, you don't need to worry about how much sin you're committing. You don't need to worry about that. If you're committing a lot of sins, that actually is fruit of another problem, and that is that you're not surrendered. It's not complicated. James isn't complicated, and I'm glad we're done with it. Because now we need to go, here am I, send somebody else. It's going to be fun. If we can get this right, it's going to make that a whole lot easier. Okay? You with me? Let's tar and feather him. Jeff Bonin isn't here, so you have to wait two weeks. Come on, you guys. We can do this. We've got the Holy Spirit in us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When your flesh wants to fight politics, let the Holy Spirit take over and talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. They're going to think I'm a religious nut. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Father God, I I pray that you would transform our hearts, our lives, from the inside out. And help us, Lord, one moment, one, stay, one, one second at a time to love each other and spur each other on to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study will start in five minutes. Kim, are you going to be, you know, Kim's back at that table. If you want a Bible study, out to the right.
If you'd like prayer, we have elders here.